Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. Carrie and we are paranormal chicks episode 263 let's just start out this episode with the roasting that I just got at the restaurant by Donna and Colby (laughs) yeah (laughs) apparently I look like George Washington you do so I saw a tiktok and it said I don't know if it's true but it basically said that dry shampoo is terrible for you. It has some type of toxin in it. This is the same as like smoking 10 cigarettes. And so I was like, okay, wait. Is like the whole bottle of dry shampoo the same as 10 cigarettes? Is like one squirt the same? Don't know. Couldn't figure out the website it told you to go to. So I stopped using the dry shampoo this week. And I used baby powder. Apparently, I didn't get enough out. No. She sat down and I was like looking at her and I said... Did you start using the powder? <laughs> she was like, yeah. I was like, I could tell. And Colby was like, what? When he looked. <laughs> they were like, girl, just wash your hair. <laughs> no, damn it. I'm not. <laughs> it's two different shades. Very ashy and white. It really looks like she has put fake stuff on for a play. Her back hair, like the back. Because I see her now with her. <laughs> I hate y'all. With her headphones on. It's two different people. (laughs) Instead of a mullet, it's just like dark in the back, light up front. (sighs) Colby said, like, you look like your hair turned gray and it's so gray it's blue. (laughs) I texted my girls at work and I was like, and nobody told me? I just got roasted (laughs) at dinner and nobody told me I had white hair all day? (laughs) They ain't your friends, girl. Well, one of them was like, I didn't notice. And then, to be honest, the other one wasn't there today. But then the other one was like, you could have shaved, come in with a shaved head and I probably wouldn't have noticed. <laughs> I'm just looking out for you, girl. No, I appreciate it. But I'm still not washing my damn hair. <laughs> so, if anyone knows um, a cancer-free <laughs> Well, solution. and then you got to, that's what I said about the damn dry shampoo switching to fucking baby powder. I was like, well, can't have talc in it. Yeah. When Carrie was talking about this the other day, Colby said, oh, baby powder? You can just walk in the uh, bathroom for that because it's everywhere. I hate y'all. Girl, you got to put baby powder in all the crevices. You got to keep your shit dry. When you're an extra large pizza and you got rolls, I it's a, it's a sensory thing for me. I got to have baby powder. And Donna's the opposite. She's an extra large pizza too, but she doesn't powder her biscuits. No, <laughs> and they fine. <laughs> I think it's just a difference of our skin. It's just a texture issue for me. But you get raw. Yeah, because I'm dry as fuck from my baby powder. (laughs) (laughs) Well, now that you know TMI about us, what's new? I have nothing to update on. I don't know. I was boring this past week. All I did was work, podcast, work, podcast, work, and some baseball games. Although we went last Friday night after work 
and I knew it was supposed to rain, so they, like, bumped the game up. And so we were late, and, like, we got our drinks. I got a pickle. Colby got some peanuts. Settled down. Woo! Go team! Felt a sprinkle. Luckily, when we got there, I had bought some ponchos because we didn't have any, and the bottom freaking fell out. So we put on our ponchos. We were okay, even though the bottom was falling out, and um, a lightning thing. A lightning. (laughs) Well, it was like lightning in the area. We had to get off the metal bleachers and, you know, go underneath the thing. Well, by that time, my shoes were, you could have like wrung them out. They had so much water in them and we were both over it. So we were like, let's just fucking go. Like, let's just go. Well, everybody was down there and it basically bottlenecked. Like everybody was just standing in the walkways. So you could not get out. That's your personal hell. It was horrible plus you're soaking wet plus everybody's touching you it's hot all the things these some of these kids were like i say kids they were college kids just standing like right at this walkway just sitting there drinking their beer or whatever and i was like hey can we get through please and i may not have said please i may have just said can we get through and one of the girls was like we're trying to get through too went to my head around and i was like clearly not because you're just fucking standing there and one of the guys with them goes "Ooh, bitchy Oh my god! I I was I was so rude, and I should not have been rude like that. But like I was in overload. It was like so many people. It was somebody behind me wheeling somebody in a wheelchair, and they kept hitting my Achilles tendon. Oh no! With that wheelchair, no. like I'm like I wanted to, I, I wanted to turn around and be like, where Where do you want me to go? Like yeah. I am not the one that's in your way. Like where I'm trying to walk too. Like where do you want me to go? That sends me over the edge. Yes, like I might as you might as well been hit me with a shopping cart. It was so much, and so I was like, "What? I I should not have been so ugly to those kids." But I was just like, "I mean, what the fuck do you want me to do?" Yeah, like, and clearly you're not going anywhere because you're literally just standing there being like. Right. Which is fine. Have fun. Have a blast. But get the fuck out the walkway. And can we please get through? What did Colby say? He didn't say anything? Colby didn't hear it. Oh, okay. And you didn't say it until y'all were out. Yeah, I waited until we were away. I'm like, did you hear those kids? (laughs) Because Colby would have said something. (laughs) Yeah. I was like, oh, God, Colby didn't hear. (laughs) Colby would have raged. Like, not (laughs) because he was already raging. But yeah, like, mm mm. Colby is protective. Yes, he is. I mean, as he should be. Colby will get, if even, Colby even thinks someone's gonna call me fat <laughs> you will be so angry and you don't want to see him when he's angry yeah i love it that he is so protective but that shit embarrasses you so much yes so she hates it too but like i get it because she's just like don't say anything don't yeah say he anything. he doesn't say a lot because of me but i was like i'm so glad he didn't hear those kids because i wasn't i was being bitchy i shouldn't have been so like Mrah! But I was. But looking back, it was hilarious. He was like, (laughs) bitchy. (laughs) I love that you said, okay, maybe I didn't say please. You never say please. I'm not a pleaser. You're not. You're just like, hey, hand me that. (laughs) I I say thank you, though. Yeah, but it's just so funny. AKA it gets on our nerves. No, I just notice it because I'm nice. No, you are a people pleaser. Well, you know who we are pleased to have? Who? Patreon nerds. Thank you so much. Brandy C. from North Carolina. Morgan S. from Oregon. Evan K. from OK. Huh. Oklahoma. <laughs> I know that abbreviation. Sarah G. from New York. Jennifer B. from Florida. Crystal T. and we need your address. And Bourbon and Boxed Wine Podcast from Louisiana. Well, that is our friends in Louisiana. If you're a teacher or you just love hearing the shit that goes on in schools, check out that podcast. 
I was rolling the first episode. And if you want to be a Patreoner and get all the extra good good that they're getting, head on over to patreon.com slash the APC podcast. So you do get bonus episodes, you get all the backlog, and there's a backlog, let me tell you. However, we do lives monthly, and I was at Dirt Cheap, our favorite salvage place, and I found a game that we're going to play. Oh, God. It's going to be good. Don't tell me. I want to know. <laughs> you don't tell me. I want to know. Yes. Okay. <laughs> it's that white hair you got today. <laughs> but seriously, so if you want to know, like we play all kinds of games. We have some old videos on Facebook that are terrible, but hilarious. One time we played Chow Crown. And Carrie had uh, set the forks up backwards, so we couldn't get any of the chow. Well, spoiler alert, that was a funny moment in the video when I realized I fucked up. That is true. All of it is just, yeah. We are always up to something. But I'll tell you what else we're up to, though. We have some traveling coming up. And you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to use my base bag. Uh, me too. Duh. Well, because base is like an overpacker's dream. And look, I'm an overpacker, but also I'm an extra large pizza, so my clothes are bigger anyway. And then I overpack. And so I need something like Base to fit everything in. So Base was created by that actress, Shay Mitchell, love her. And she designed sleek, affordable bags, luggage, and accessories that's designed to help you travel more effortlessly and I think more efficiently. Oh, I know what you're talking about. The zippered bottom. Yes. So Donna and I both have a weekender bag from base. Mine is gray. Mine is black. It's so chic. And at the bottom of the weekender bag, it has like a little zipper that you can put stuff in. And it's perfect for shoes, a laptop if you're traveling, and that's your carry-on. So you just need to quickly be able to take your laptop out or anything that you just want separate from your clothes. So that's what I loved it for like shoes and I put like makeup down there and just stuff like that. Dry shampoo when you used it? Just literally today. I was talking with a coworker and she was telling me this luggage that she got in high school that is so outdated looking that she's like, I really need new ones because the print on it is terrible, you know, all the things. But that's what's so great about base is that it's timeless. You're not going to, in 10 years, be like, oh my God, that thing is so ugly. You know, it did not age well. No, these are timeless, sleek pieces that are built to last. Yes, so functional. You don't lose the beauty for the function. Like we said, we have the weekender bag, but it also includes luggage, which what makes the luggage awesome is that it has, of course, the 360 degree gliding wheels, but it has cushion handles and a built-in weight indicator. And you think, cushion handles? Why do I need that? Uh, you do, because if you're ever just like pulling something or having your hand on, it does leave a mark on me. Mm -hmm. And you can have washable bags for your dirty clothes and all the interior pockets to keep you organized. And like I have a gray one, Donna has a black one. It comes in multiple sizes and colors so that you can find exactly what you're looking for. And every piece is made to look better with miles. So don't worry about it in cargo or overhead. It's only going to look better. Base has over 30,000 five-star reviews. So you can trust that what you're getting is good quality pieces. 
So whether you're packing for a quick trip or looking to breeze through the security line, BASE has you covered. All your base is covered. But it's So right now, BASE is offering 15% off your first purchase by visiting basetravel.com slash creep. That's B-E-I-S-T-R-A-V-E-L dot com slash creep for 15% off your first purchase. Y'all really need to get on this because this luggage, these bags are awesome. That's base, B-E-I-S, travel.com slash creep for 15% off your first purchase. Y'all, Babel is back. Tell me why my first instinct was to say something about how y'all used to always autocorrect to talk and then, you know, you talk with Babel. I don't know. Back in the day, remember, until you had to teach your phone that, no, I'm actually trying to say y'all. Yeah, mine would say tall. Mm, I can see that. Why did mine do talk? (laughs) I don't know. It says more about your fingers. So whether you're trying to decipher what I'm saying in text or you're trying to learn a new language, Babbel is for you. Babbel is a language learning app that sold more than 10 million subscriptions. What's great about Babbel is that the language lessons are bite-sized, they're fun. Donna literally just described herself. Oh, thanks. Bite-sized and fun. And all you need is 10 minutes to complete a lesson. Or Donna. So, (laughs) (laughs) that's all you got. (laughs) Okay, well, maybe you should start learning a language. (laughs) Let's up that vocabulary a little. Touché. But for real, with Babbel, you only need 10 minutes to complete a lesson. So you can start having real-life conversations in as little as three weeks. Like Donna's longest relationship. (laughs) (laughs) Well, if you have Babbel, you can expertly roast me like Carrie does. (laughs) Because their lessons are built around real life. So you learn how to have practical conversations about travel, relationships, business, and more. So you too can cut your friend down at the knees. (laughs) So look, other language learning apps use AI for their lesson plans, but Babbel lessons were created by over 150 language experts, and it's voiced by real native speakers, not computers. And Babbel's speech recognition technology helps you improve your pronunciation and your accent. And y'all have heard me say this so many times that that is the most important part for me. Because again, when you have a thick accent already, and then you try to speak another language with an accent, it's accents on accents on accents, and it's hard. But with Babbel, it really teaches you how to improve your pronunciation and accent. The only thing hard with Babbel is choosing from the 14 different languages which one you want to learn. So start your new language learning today with Babbel. Right now, you can get up to 55% off your subscription when you go to babbel.com slash creep. That's B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash creep. You know, a lot of places give you 50% off, but Babbel's giving you 55. They're giving you just that little extra, and that tells you all you need to know. So go to babbel.com slash creep and sign up for up to 55% off your subscription. And it comes with a 20-day money-back guarantee. So just, you know, go try it out. Impress your friends. B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash creep. Okay, so I have been, y'all know how like Paula Zahn's my go-to go-to-sleep show right now. Well, I've been through it like three times and there's like 27 seasons. Oh, fuck. But like, it's what I go, so like there's like, eight episodes that play in a night, you know, whatever plays before my sleep timer goes off. So I was like, it's probably time to change series. I've been watching Swamp Murders. Oh, shit. That sounds like something my mama would have loved. 1000%. So this was an episode of Swamp Murders. It's been on a bunch of different shows. So I'm going to do this episode. Okay, perfect. 
Okay, picture it. November 22nd, 1987. It's right before Thanksgiving, and there's this guy named Wesley. He'd been to church, and the preacher was like, hey, you need to, like, go find God kind of thing. Like, like really encouraged everybody to be like, God, I really just sound like a Southern Baptist. You did. <laughs> but, like, really encouraged people to, like, go, go spend some time with God, basically. Okay. So it wasn't just to Wesley specifically. He no, was no, saying no, it to, to the, the congregation. Whole, okay, okay. Yeah. I didn't know if Wesley was in church and the preacher was like, and you, Wesley, you need to go find God. <laughs> Thought I was in his house, but okay. <laughs> so all of this happens um, around Chesapeake, Virginia, slash a little North Carolina. Okay, so here's me forgetting that any other place besides Louisiana has this. Yeah. Yeah. So Wesley decided to stop at the Dismal Swamp Canal. That doesn't sound appealing. It no, I don't. I completely agree. It sounds dismal. I concur. So he hangs out for a little while. He's walking around. He's skipping rocks. He's finding God. He sees this area. It's like it's got a lot of like brush and really rocky down this embankment, and he sees honestly what he thought was fake, like. He thought it was a mannequin. I don't think it's... I want to say it said a blow-up doll, but I could be wrong. <laughs> he needs to find God, apparently. <laughs> That's his first thing. Is that a sex doll? So <laughs> thinks that first? Me. So he goes up to it to see, like, to really get a good look at it and see what it is. And like I said, he thought it was fake until he touched the leg and some blood came out. Oh, shit. So Wesley gets in his truck and drives away so he can go call police. Because, you know, 1987. Yeah. He's not on an episode of Murder, She Wrote, so he ain't got a phone yet. So police get there within about 15 minutes. When detectives get there, they realize this scene is horrible. The body was of a young woman. She was nude, and she was all caught up in the debris. She had 27 gunshot wounds. Holy fuck. But here's what's weird, though. Police were like, the body had to have been dumped, but, like, it had to have been kind of just, like, thrown over because there's no way somebody could have carried her down this, like, really steep, rocky embankment. And plus, she was really, like, caught up in the debris. There were holes in, obviously, the body, but also in the trees and shit around her. Oh, like bullet holes? Yes. Okay. And they eventually discovered that the weapon was a twenty-two caliber gun. And because of the lack of insect activity on the body, they knew that she had only been there probably less than 24 hours. But this is what was weird. There was no shell casings anywhere. But also there was basically no blood. So it was like, it's just weird. Like, clearly she was shot there. Uh-huh. But like, was she shot somewhere else and shot there? Because there were bullet holes. Yeah. But no shell casings. But there wasn't a lot of blood. Of course, the body had a lot of scratch marks from the small trees and all that it was basically wrapped in. There was a bloody footprint or palm print. I don't think they could really decide. In the middle of her chest. Oh my gosh. I'm hoping it's a palm print just because that... Hurts me so bad to think about a footprint. Well, I think about it. Did they either, if it's a handprint or footprint, is that how they pushed her off the embankment? (gasps) Yeah. I don't know. There were a lot of like facial wounds. She was missing a front tooth. I know this is so weird to think because like the amount of cases that we've done where like a body wasn't intact and all of that. But I kept, for some reason, I harped on the fact that she's going to be buried or cremated without her tooth. Like, she's not intact, you know? And yeah. I, I don't know why that stuck with me so much. I mean, I know I'm weird about my teeth. And I was going to say, you're about very weird about teeth. And I have dreams about missing teeth. But I don't know, that just stuck with me for some reason. So, there were also marks on her wrists that were 
what kind of similar to what would be left by handcuffs. And again, she had some blood on her, obviously. I mean, she had been murdered, clearly, but there wasn't the amount of blood in the area that you would expect. So not long after she was discovered, police found her clothing in the water and they had a lot of blood on them. So they were like, okay, well, that's probably what happened. Then she was, you know, killed and then they took her clothes off of her. They found like a green shirt and a black teddy. So based off all the evidence, police believe that whoever killed her shot her, unclothed her, and then shot her again. So, of course, police are immediately like, "Mm mm-hmm, Wesley, up here fighting God, like, what you really doing? And even though they were skeptical and he was, like, really nervous, they let him go because there's, you know, like, why would he have called the police after he did this? And, I mean, I know some people do, but he answered their questions. There was nothing to keep him. Yeah. I've kind of seen this timeline different a couple of places, and you also have to remember how many shows this was on and the different things that you find online. So, I think that some of the stuff kind of gets crisscrossed a little bit, but... So I've seen either before or after the body was found. A man did come into the police station and report his daughter missing. His name is Tom Bonney. So Tom is married to Dorothy and they have six kids together. And their kids are like from ages like one to 19. Whoa. Yeah. They don't have a lot of money. You know, they're kind of sort of making ends meet, but it's like hella tight. But Tom owns his own junkyard. Now, Kathy is his oldest daughter, and she's the one that he reported missing. So, when he first reported her missing, they're like, okay, with her age, there's no foul play. She can't be a runaway because she's 19. And remember, 1987. So, in order to file a missing persons report with no foul play that we know of, we're going to have to wait 24 to 48 hours. So remember, he owns a junkyard. So basically what he would do is he would buy people's vehicles that had been maybe involved in a wreck or just old and needed a lot of work. He'd buy it for, you know, relatively inexpensive and then turn around and sell it for parts, which is exactly how I am trying to get me some damn running boards for my forerunner. I know you've been trying for a while. I just don't want to pay for new ones. They're so expensive. Meanwhile, I'm only getting them for Donna. And the look. And Donna doesn't even ride in my car anymore because Mm-mm. of my dogs. Also, you don't drive anymore. No, I don't. I have become a passenger princess. <laughs> if I can't sit there and play my games, I don't want to go. So, Tom said he got a call from a guy named John. And John had a Chevy Blazer that he wanted to sell. The engine and the brakes are good, but, like, it's got a lot of miles on it. I need to unload this thing. And the guy was wanting to sell it for pretty cheap. So, Tom was like, absolutely, fucking 1987 Chevy Blazers were, like, a thing. So, he was like, I'm on that. Because he can get it, sell it for parts. But then he was like, or Kathy's been wanting a Chevy Blazer. Like, let me buy this for Kathy. Tom and Kathy go to meet up with John so that they can see if they want to buy it. So Kathy wants to go test drive this blazer with John. And Tom, her dad, is like, oh, I don't really know, but sure. Kathy's super smart. Everyone loved her. But remember how I said that the family was struggling financially. So Kathy had to drop out of high school so that she could work at the junkyard. So like she knew this shit. Like she worked at the junkyard. She knew cars. So she knew things she was looking for and all of that. So she wasn't me. Correct. So Kathy leaves with John to go on the test drive. And that was the last time that Tom saw Kathy. Oh my gosh. So they didn't come back for an hour or more. So he was like, All right, well, I guess I'll go home. What? Yeah, weird, right? And he went to bed. 
So he said when he woke up that Kathy still wasn't there and that's when he panicked. But Tom tells police he doesn't know John's last name. This is not uncommon. This is like a cash-based business where people are selling cars and, you know, it's just like, hey, I've got this blah, 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 blah. Do you want to come? You want to give me $500 for it? Sure. Like, you you don't need to know social security number of the person you're buying this car from. Right. But now, at this point, police have found a body. And they don't know, is Kathy this body? So police go to talk to Tom and see if they can get a picture of Kathy. They want to see if they can figure out, is this her or not? They, but they don't want to alert the family, like, hey, we found this body. Mm-hmm. They just want to be like, hey, you got a picture of her? Like, can we have her driver's license? And when they took her driver's license and they looked at her, they were like, oh, I'm pretty sure that's her. But we don't actually know because it was so hard to tell from all of her, like, gunshot wounds and stuff. Yeah. But this part was weird. So the detective called Tom at home and was like, hey, can we come get another picture of Kathy? And Tom was like, actually, it's pretty late. Um, Can y'all come? Can y'all wait till tomorrow? What? I mean, I know he has a lot of kids and some are young, but like, just meet him outside with the picture. Yeah. And like, your daughter's missing. Yeah. So at a different time, though, what the detectives ended up doing was going and dusting Kathy's room for her fingerprints so that they could compare it versus a picture. Well, on Wednesday, November 25th, 1987, the body was identified to be Kathy Bonnie. They matched her fingerprints from what they got out of her room, and that's how they were able to identify her. When they went to the house to tell the parents, Tom, like, lost his shit like he was so upset screaming yelling fell on the floor like chest pains hyperventilating to where the detectives ended up calling for an ambulance because he was having like chest pains and couldn't catch his breath and all of that but basically he was just hyperventilating but it was like a extreme reaction yeah my that's what my face was going to like yeah your eyebrows are very furrowed yeah because everything is like a movie to me apparently and i'm like Why is he acting so much? Yeah. So, of course, police are going to look into Kathy's life to see, like, who the hell would want to kill this 19-year-old? They did learn that Tom was actually pretty damn strict. And he monitored everything that those kids did. Which I'm sure wasn't super hard for him because, one, they didn't have cell phones. But, two, she worked at his junkyard. So, if she's not at home, she's at work with him, you know? Police go back to talk to Tom, and he tells them that he found some letters in Kathy's room. Apparently, Kathy had taken on a lover. His name is John Hoskins. Oh, Lord. But not the same John from the car. Oh, okay. (laughs) Yeah, lots of names. Just get your little uh, family tree out and start drawing lines so you know who I'm talking about. Well, I was like, Kathy's playing the long game, being like, oh, yeah, I want to go test drive this car. So, these letters are risque, but guess what? John actually, John the boyfriend, not John the the person who test drove the car with, John the boyfriend actually worked for Tom. (gasps) Oh, shit. And like 10 days before Kathy went missing, Tom had actually fired John. (gasps) So, John was only a year older. He was like 20 years old. And he was married with a kid. Oh, gosh. So, Tom was not happy about this. Yeah. But from what I understand, though, it's kind of alleged that Tom had a feeling that John and 
was like into Kathy. So that's why he got rid of him. But he found those letters. Like he, you know, it wasn't like he fired him because he found those letters. So the letters were with a diary. So the police start looking at her diary and they found out that her life was very limited because of Tom. Like she couldn't have boyfriends. She wasn't allowed to go hang out with friends, all this. Like he was super strict. So Kathy started doing what any teenager would do. And she started sneaking out. She started finding ways to meet up with John, have their little rendezvous and try to live a quasi-normal teenage life in spite of her dad being so strict. So police are like, okay, so did John do something because he got fired and he's got a kid and a wife and he blames Kathy? Or because of all the stuff that they had read in her diary about how oppressed her life had been, was she trying to leave her life behind and then something happened? Because they did find out that she had started saving money in order to leave her life. So what if she had tried and something just went terribly wrong? That breaks my heart that, you know, she was trying to leave. You know what I mean? And then she didn't even get the chance to. Yeah. And I don't know if she was like going to just up and leave everything. Or maybe she was just like, okay, I'm going to get my own apartment. Yeah. I'm going to get my own, you know, find a new job, whatever. Mm-hmm. I mean, everyone has plans, but it's so... It hits me hard, like, when they're in college or like this. Like, she had plans, like, immediate plans. Yeah. Well, and to get out of a bad situation, like, she was working towards something. Working towards a goal to better herself. Yeah. So, the police are like, okay, Tom, you got to help us. Who the fuck is John? Like, you don't know his name. You don't have any of his information. So, like, what did he look like? And where did they meet him at? So, they met him at a 7-Eleven. So, Tom gets with a sketch artist. And he's like, okay, not those eyebrows, this eyebrow. You know, does all, like, the, okay, the nose is a little more pointy. Whatever. You know, does the whole shebang. And when they get done with the sketch, they're looking at it. And it's like, he basically had the sketch artist draw the sketch artist. Oh, shit. So they're like, well, that's weird. And and Tom had told detectives that when he and Kathy went to meet the car, John, that they met at a 7-Eleven and that he had driven his wrecker there, like a tow truck. Not looking good for Tom over here. But then another time, Tom told police that he was driving his Chevrolet and not the wrecker when he and Kathy went to the 7-Eleven. And then they asked him, like, do you have any weapons? And he said that around the time that John had been fired, he had a 22 caliber rifle that had been stolen from his wrecker. And then he said that he had a 22 caliber revolver that he sold to some black man, but he couldn't remember his name. Wow. Now, also, I should tell you that when Kathy's, like, when police were in her room and they found, like, the diary and all that, they found some, like, adult magazines, a pair of handcuffs. Like, she was exploring. That's my girl, Kathy. So, the police are like, we really feel like we're not getting anywhere with Tom. Tom's doing some weird shit. But, like, we're just, you know, we're just not getting anywhere here. So, they wanted to go talk to the family without Tom. Because, you know, there are some rumors about stuff that maybe went on in the house. And the family didn't hold back when Tom wasn't in the room. They told police that he's mean and he's abusive. And Kathy had a younger sister. Now, I have seen her name as Sarah and Susan. But Sarah slash Susan, she had a lot to say. Sarah slash Susan said that the night that Kathy went missing... She went outside and looked at her dad's car and she saw blood on the seat. 
What? When she told her mom, her mom just kind of assumed that he must have picked up a dead animal. And they never mentioned the blood to abusive Tom. Because why would they? Right. Sarah slash Susan also said that she went to the 7-Eleven after they came back and Kathy wasn't with him to see if she could try and find out what happened. But Tom did not go back out that night looking for Kathy. Yeah, that's just so strange because you don't want a victim blame, but my anxiety would have been through the roof if I don't hear from you or something. Right. I, I definitely wouldn't leave and then go home and sleep. I just couldn't do that. Look, I'm a sleeper. So even when it's like hella stressful, I will be able to sleep. However, I've had a police officer tell me, you have two suspects in separate cells. The one that goes to sleep is the one that did it. Yeah. The one that is up, anxious, and worried, they didn't do it. Yeah. The other one's like, well, fuck, I'm caught. I might as well sleep. Yeah. Whereas the other one's like, oh my God, I didn't do this. Get me the fuck out of here. So it's really make your spidey senses go up that he didn't go back out and look for her. But the other thing that Kathy's little sister told police was that one night she woke up and Tom was standing over her bed with a knife. What? And so police are really thinking that you know, Tom might be good for this. Like, and the fact that, you know, he's standing over her little sister's bed with a knife, like is basically she the next Kathy. So they decide to step in. Social services step in and they basically do an immediate order to remove the kids. Now, Tom in his assholery really tries to pretend like they're the fucking Waltons. Like he really tries to pretend like they have this perfect family life and the kids and yada, yada, yada. So he was upset, of course, by this. So the police are like, this is, this is how we're going to get him to help us. They say, if you can get us your car, because he said that, you know, he sold it to some black man. Car? I thought he said his gun. Yeah, both of those. It's always some black man with him. Oh, okay. If you can help us get your car back, we'll help you get your kids back. What's so important about his car, though? Because he said that he drove the car one time, and then one time he said he drove the record. Okay, okay, okay. But Sarah Susan saw blood in the car. Okay. And he got rid of the car. So, like, they need the car. Yeah, yeah, Something's up with the car. We need the car. Yeah, now I get it. I get it. So, now we're in December. And Tom calls the detectives and is like, I found the car. It's at this place in Virginia Beach, Virginia. Well, at first... He says he doesn't know where, like, he knows where it is, but he doesn't know where to tell police to go get it. Police hear somebody talking in the background, and so they're like, give them the phone. So they get the phone, and they're like, do not let that car leave. We're on our way. So police get there, take the car. But before they can get there, Tom leaves. Oh, my gosh. And now that we've got the car, we know why. There were bloodstains all over that car. How did he get rid of the car? Because he didn't sell it to some black man. That was a fucking lie. No, I know. But like, who took the car? He, it was like at some just place, like a motor's place, like a, I don't know. What I'm picturing is kind of like a junkyard. Okay. But I don't think it was that, but that's kind of what I'm picturing. Okay. Because I'm just like, who takes a car that has blood all over it? Now, remember it's 1987, so they're not running DNA on this damn blood, but they do type it, but it is consistent with Kathy's blood type. It's her blood. So basically, police think, okay, Kathy must have been shot once in the car and then taken to the dumping site where all the other things happened. But not only did Tom try to get rid of the car, he tried to get rid of the wrecker too. So this time he really did sell it to some guy. 
And the guy that he sold it to was a fix at Felix. And it just wasn't like he needed to change the fuel pump or some shit. And so he had to take the gas tank off. When he takes the gas tank off, he hears in it. And he's like, the fuck is this? The gun? All the shell casings. (gasps) All 27 shell casings. Oh my gosh. What a fucking moron. Right? Put it in your gas tank and then sell the bitch? Yeah. I mean, this is not Murder 101, but he skipped day one. Yes. So police basically have enough. You know, they've got the blood in the car. He's the last person to see her. They've got the shell casings. They've got all this stuff. But what they don't have is Tom because they got to find him. And they find him in Indianapolis. So he gets arrested there and he says, like, I'm not running. Okay. (laughs) Why are you here then, Tom? So they read him his Miranda rights and they start talking. There was never a John? Well, there was never, there was never the original John. There was the boyfriend John. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I mean. Sorry. But the car John never existed. Okay. So after they arrest him, he starts talking. He says that the day before Kathy was murdered, he found the letters. Wow. What a fucking piece of shit. And it was too much for him. It like wrecked his whole perception of Kathy. And so he confronted her with the letters. And he said that Kathy lunged for his gun and it just went off. No. 27 times. No. But he did say it just went off. You know what? Fuck that because why did you have the gun? Like you don't bring the gun unless you're prepared to use it. On the flip side of that though, you do have to remember that he runs a junkyard. It's a cash-based business and it's very dangerous for people that run that. So it's, they highly, they're very likely to be robbed. So it's not, I wouldn't be surprised if he kept a gun because he kept it under his seat. So it wouldn't surprise me that that gun was there all the time. Okay, true, true, true. So he, he probably has that gun on him all the time. But he basically told police something snapped and he shot Kathy. But like he can't remember dropping her body off. He doesn't remember shooting her that many times. He doesn't remember like he can't wrap his head around why she's naked. He doesn't remember taking her clothes off. It should be noted there was no signs of sexual assault. But he says that he can't remember all these things. So he doesn't know how that happened. So Kathy was just wearing a teddy on a normal day? Yeah. I kind of love her. So, but then it's weird too though, because sometimes he's like, I don't remember this. I don't remember this. And then he'll be like, I don't remember reloading the gun. I don't remember how many shots I fired. But then he'll say, yes, she screamed the first time I shot. And then Tom says he didn't shoot her and then drive to the scene. He said everything happened there. But then he says that he did take her clothes off and that he did carry a gun and did bring extra bullets with him that night. He, then he said that he threw the gun over the bridge and that he put the shell casings in the, in the gas tank. So long story short, obviously, he's arrested. He's about to go to trial. That's when police get a call. This call is from a doctor. Dr. Dell had interviewed and worked with Tom after his arrest. He says Tom has disassociative identity disorder and has 10 separate personalities. What? He said that Tom is the host and he has other personalities called Satan, Mamie, Damien, Viking, Tommy, Hitman, Preacher, Dad, and Kathy. Basically, he has this personality, and it seems like it kind of vacillates between when Tom is challenged between Damien and the hitman. Can we talk about what vacillates me? Like, 
I may have not said the right word, but like back and forth, back and forth. Okay, like a vessel and Vaseline got together. Okay. (laughs) Fucking vacillate. Just switch. So basically, Dr. Dell hypnotized him and was able to like separate the personalities, like get like get to know him, basically. So these interviews with him were videotaped and were used in evidence. Basically, Dr. Dell said that Damien was in control when Kathy was shot. Dr. Dell says that Tom has disassociative identity disorder, which used to be known as multiple personality disorder, post-traumatic stress disorder, and that he really just didn't think that Tom knew what he was doing. And basically, they related all of this back to past trauma from when he was a kid and how he was raised and how he was raised in an abusive household. There were things to back this up. Because basically what everything said was one of the hallmark things that you have to prove with this is that people have like lapses in memory. And there were plenty of people to say like, yeah, he absolutely like he would miss like weeks where he wouldn't remember anything that happened the week before. Or you'd be like, yeah, we had this conversation the other day, yada, yada. And he's like, no, we didn't. You know, like he doesn't remember anything. And they had people testify to the fact that he had mood swings where like, let's say some things he was like very religious on and yada, yada, yada. And then like the next time you talk to him, he's like, that's bullshit. You know, like he had really bad mood swings. It seems like Damien is the personality that would come out and like abuse the kids and all of that. But another psychiatrist, um, Dr. Coons came out and was like, yeah, okay. So I reviewed all of this footage and I don't agree with your diagnosis. He's like, you didn't properly interview him before he was hypnotized and all of this. So, like, I don't buy any of this. And then another physician testified and was like, okay, I agree that he has disassociative identity disorder, but I don't agree with you. I think that he knew right from wrong. And I think he knew exactly what he was doing when he killed Kathy. Because he hid the shell casings. He was angry about the letters. He was, you know, he was prepared with extra bullets, all this. Mm -hmm. Like, he's like, yeah, I think he has DID, but I think he knew what he was doing. Yeah, it was premeditated. Right. So a jury did find him guilty of first degree murder, and he was given the death penalty. This went through appeals, and eventually it was commuted to life in prison. So... While Tom was in prison, he tried to escape twice. The first time, he just like jumped out of a car, like still handcuffed, tried to jump out. But then in July of 1994, he and this other guy wedged themselves through one of the articles I found that was like a four inch hole. What? Don't know how he did that. And they got in this garbage truck that like, as soon as the garbage comes in, it compacts it. Yeah. And then is like locked. Uh Uh-huh. They thought for a little while he and that guy had died in that compactor. But they actually had like stolen a car. They Honestly, they were like, this was the first time anybody had ever escaped in this prison's like 12 year thing. So they were like, we fucking don't know how they did it. Yeah. Yeah. But he ended up being found. He said that he just wanted to go visit his mom's grave because his mom had died like five years from the escape attempt or from, well, not attempt. He did. And so he didn't get to go to her funeral and all. So he wanted to go to her grave site and Kathy's. Oh, fuck him. I'm like, fuck all the way off, you fucker. Then he just wandered around and said that like if he wasn't, if they hadn't have found him, then he was going to turn himself in after a few days so that he could get food and his medication. Okay. 
And he is still alive in prison, and we hate him. And so, like I said, this was on a bunch of different stuff. This is on Deadly Whispers. It was on American Justice. It was on Swamp Murders. It's been on a bunch of different stuff. So you definitely need to watch those shows. But this is what I think. I think that, well, I don't know when his DID began. But I think that one of those personalities was in love with Kathy. Ooh. Whether it be Damien, whether it be whatever, I think one of them was in love with Kathy. I mean, if he truly had a personality named Kathy, too, maybe it was something way deeper than I can even process. But I think when he found those handcuffs, and I think that when he found that letter and those magazines, it was too much. Because he realized that she was having an affair with someone else, air quotes around that, and it was too much. So he couldn't process it. So he killed her because not, nothing I found other than that one or two things that said her wrists looked like they had handcuffs on them. So like, did he use handcuffs on her to like, not, not make an example out of her, but you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, okay, oh, this is what you wanted. But then like, ultimately it's still his daughter. So he couldn't rape her, you know, yeah. which is why she didn't have any sexual assault. You know what, you see what I'm saying? Yeah, like, yeah. I, I, I mean, I could be and probably am way off base, but I just feel like that's just not a normal reaction of a father to be like, my 19-year-old's having sex. Like, that's just not a normal reaction. And I get that he was very strict and very conservative and all the things. Part of me feels like maybe one of the personalities was in love with her. And again, I could be completely off base, but here's the thing. There are many people with DID who live regular lives and don't fucking kill people. Right. Just like people with schizophrenia can live regular lives and don't kill people. They're more harmful to themselves than others. No, he fucking knew what he was doing. Mm -hmm. That's, I don't, I don't buy it. He's right where he deserves to be. No, he knew what he was doing. He was prepared. He had extra bullets. I'm telling you there was something with the handcuffs because they found them and it was her arm. You know what I mean? Like, this was not, no, he knew what he was doing. I don't understand how people can just lie like that because when I'm not doing anything wrong to the police I just want to confess everything well and I think it depends on for him who was talking to the police true yeah true and I was gonna say that maybe why a story changed of what vehicle he was in but no if it was another personality he wouldn't have remembered it there is video of the interview where you can see when it's like Damien talking and he's like she deserved everything she got wow I wonder if it was Damien who had the knife over the other daughter. Could be. That's just so sad. And the police did look into John, the boyfriend. Like, they interviewed him and everything. So, like, they really did look at all avenues for this. Well, now I feel bad because I was like, well, he over, like, was over dramatic when he found out. But what if he didn't know? I think he did. Okay. I don't buy it. I think he did. There were times where he was, like, not able to process her being nude and stuff. Mm -hmm. So, I think that maybe part of him had a hard time processing how bad it was. But on the flip side, I just think he knew. It's just so hard because, yeah, like, you would think he wouldn't know. But then it could have been Damien who is the one who prepared all the stuff. Right. And if he truly has no memory of it. Mm -hmm. Well, and that's the thing, too, is I don't know enough about DID to say for sure whether or not he would have a memory of it or he wouldn't or he, you know, whatever. But you're not going to get rid of Damien, you know. So Damien is him. He is Damien. 
yeah, he he does not need to be free. It's just so hard. I had never heard of this story. So like, seriously, I had no idea where this was going. Besides, I thought that he had done something only because when you overreact so much. Yes. It's like, why? Just like when people who aren't really surprised and they're like, oh my goodness. Yes. And it's like, so you knew? For him to overreact so much, but then have like went to sleep that night and stuff like mm-hmm. something wasn't adding up. But now we know he had DID. But I feel like I know nothing about DID. Oh, I don't. I really don't. But again, somebody having DID does not mean they're a fucking killer or going to hurt anybody. Right. I started watching this show on Hulu, but I fell asleep. But it was something about like learning from a murder or something like that. And it's this woman who, she's a professor, and her grad students, seriously, I've only seen like the first episode, so I don't know like if it's different cases every episode or what. They focus on a killer, and this time it was a nurse. And I don't think it was a nurse who had like that movie about him, The Good Nurse or whatever. Mm -hmm. I don't think it was him. But I think he was in Texas, this nurse. And when they're doing like the profile and everything, it's like every time he killed a patient, some kind of stressor had set him off. And it's like money, stress, his wife became pregnant again, or I can't remember all of it, you know, but like there was a stressor and she's like, we can see how he's human, but also we have all of these stresses. Do y'all have debt? Do y'all have this? But we did not kill multiple people. Exactly. Hundreds of thousands of people have shitty, shitty lives growing up, and they don't grow up to be murderers. Okay, so I'm doing a recommendation this time. Woohoo! It's from Shanna L. in the Facebook group, and it was actually featured on Unsolved Mysteries, the new one, and it's called The Ghost in Apartment 14. And then it was also on Paranormal Witness, and that episode was called The Apartment. Clever. Right, so obviously I'm going to be talking about an apartment. Picture it. Chico, California, 1999. Single mom, Jodie Foster, not the actress, and her daughter, Hannah, moved to Chico, California. Jodie had some friends in Chico, and after all the issues Jodie had faced in Montana, her bestie, Edie, was like, come move to Chico, I can help y'all, you know, like all the things. When they got there... Jody knew she had to look for a budget-friendly place to live, and she found that in Walnut Gardens' apartment complex. She said it looked nice and inviting from the outside, and better yet, the rent was in her price range. And if you couldn't tell by the Unsolved Mysteries episode title, the apartment she ended up moving into was Apartment 14. It wasn't ground level like Jody had wanted, but it was the only one available. The property manager said, hey, This is what we have. If you want it, get it. And when another apartment comes available on the ground floor, Jody, you can move there. And Jody wasn't in the best financial spot. So she was like, okay, we'll take apartment 14. Everything's going to work out. You know, have that positive attitude. But she was super anxious about Hannah falling over the railing and stuff because Hannah was like three at this time. And because it was so prevalent on her mind, Jody ended up having a nightmare the first night they spent in their new apartment. Jody recounts a nightmare revolving around two people who appeared to be a couple. They were dressed in 70s style clothing and everything just kind of looked outdated. Jody said it was as if she was watching a movie. She watched the man and the woman scope out the apartment grounds like they were predators looking for prey. She noticed a large H on the man's belt buckle and immediately thought of Hannah. 
And so in her mind, that meant they were looking for Hannah, her daughter. Jody woke up from the nightmare in a panic. She believed it was all real, and so she ended up calling Edie. Now, it's like wee hours of the morning, and Edie answered, and she's like us. She thought, like, some kind of traumatic emergency was going on. Somebody's dead in a ditch. Right, but it's Jody, and she's crying, and so she's like, what's going on? What's wrong with Hannah? What's wrong with you? And she's like, there's people after Hannah, and she's like, call the police. She's like, no, 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 it was a dream. And Edie was like, girl, you are just worried and stressed and manifested this into this nightmare. Go back to sleep. Everything's okay. And it made sense to Jody, so she did go back to sleep. However, it wasn't long before she had another nightmare. It involved the same two people, and they were still feeling very deviant to her and like they were on a mission for something or someone. They were in the apartment building's hallway at this point. And then they were in her apartment and Jody sees them with a girl and the girl is just staring at Jody as these two people are abducting her. So Jody is screaming no, but it's like she's a ghost to them. And then she woke up. Jody was experiencing a panic attack and even went to the property manager's apartment, which was kind of next door to hers, but she wasn't available. But she's like, these two people are in this apartment. They are like trying to abduct Hannah or this other girl, like something is going on. But Jody finally calmed herself down, reassured herself that it was just a terrible nightmare and it was indeed her stress manifesting into these two people who have been haunting her dreams. Well, Jody's prayers were finally answered when a ground floor apartment became available. However, it was kind of a dump, but she was like, I don't care. It's going to get me out of there. And now I don't have to be so worried about Hannah and maybe I can sleep. Because ultimately, that's the most important thing. <laughs> I mean, it's not, but it is. Right. Well, this was apartment 23, but she, you know, thought this was going to solve all the problems she was having in apartment 14. But she was, of course, wrong. Things started to go missing or being moved in the apartment. And Jody suspected Hannah as, you know, being a kid, playing a prank on her, whatever. But when it kept happening, Jody got pissed off and just upset that Hannah would lie to her about not doing this. Because Jody was very particular in having things set up by the door. Like, you know how people have key rings and stuff right by the door? Well, she had that, but she also had like a little shoe rack. And so they would put their shoes right there. So if they're running out the door, hey, put your shoes on, whatever. But Hannah's pink shoes would be missing from the rack. They would be on her bed instead. And again, Jody's like, why are you doing this? You know, and Hannah's like, I'm not doing it. And she's like, uh, we're two people here and I'm not doing it. So you're doing it. And now you're lying to me. Well, then one time Jody's keys were missing and turned up in the middle of the bed as well. So Jody is like pissed off at her daughter at this point, which I mean, hello, I would be too. Cause like, okay, it was funny the first time, but now stop. Because also, I mean, what else is it? I mean, it's, of course it's her, you know what I mean? Like that's what you're thinking. But one night Jody and Hannah came from having dinner and they found the phone receiver in the middle of the floor of Hannah's room and had the cord wrapped tightly around it. Like it was bundled. And because it was one of those that hung on the wall. So, you know, it had a long cord Mm -hmm. and all of Hannah's toys were in a pile. 
And on top of the pile was Hannah's favorite toy, her sleep and snore Ernie doll. But when Jody looked closer, there was a shoelace around Ernie's neck. Oh, uh-uh. Yeah, and she was like, uh, that looks like a noose. So she was shaken to her core. Like, this is a threat to her family and, more importantly, to her daughter then. And immediately she's like, my nightmares are coming true. Someone has been in this house and they're targeting Hannah. And at this point, they had a family friend staying with them. Her name was Misty, and she's deaf. And she was there to help Jody out because she had been so stressed and stuff. And I don't know how old Misty was, but she was younger. You know, she, like, Jody had to ask her mom, hey, can Misty come and stay with us? So Misty was there to witness this whole event. So it's not just Jody and Hannah now, like someone else has witnessed this. And Misty said that she felt like there was someone watching them when they walked into the apartment. She said she didn't feel alone and she didn't feel safe right then. So Jody really was freaking out that someone had broken in and no one else had a key to the apartment. So she was like, we're going to call the police. Like now this is just too much. Like someone's been fucking with our shit. But now, like, this is a threat. They took her statement down, but, you know, it was like, oh, yeah, real menacing, which it is. But you can also be like, was it just around the neck? And it was a shoelace. It wasn't, like, looking just like a noose. You know what I mean? Yeah. And because there was no sign of anyone breaking in, uh, other than, like, the toys being piled up and stuff, but, like, no forced entry or anything, nothing happened. Jody's nightmares kept happening, too. The next one, she said, was the couple, and they were in a blue car. And again, it looked like something out of the 60s or the 70s. They were talking to a girl who was walking on the side of the road. And then they ended up picking her up, and Jody's like, wait, that's the girl I had dreamt about before, too. Jody said that she watched them drive down a street, and she's like, oh, shit, wait, that's my street. And then they turned into her apartment complex. And the man asked if he could go use her restroom. And so they went inside. And that's when Jody woke up again. But just a couple of nights later, Jody had another nightmare. The couple and the girl were in apartment 14. And Jody could see the man putting something from a bottle onto a handkerchief. And that's when he attacked the girl. She was then unconscious. And the man and woman walked the girl back to the car, closed the door, and drove off. Jody didn't understand what was going on, and her mental state was in shambles at this point. She was exhausted, so stressed out. She didn't know how much longer she could take this. She was afraid to go to sleep because she didn't want to keep reliving these nightmares over and over. But, you know, your body needs sleep, and it's going to shut down in order to get that sleep. So Jody couldn't avoid the nightmares. The next one she had was worse. It was again where the girl was in the car, But she had come to and was begging to be released. The man stopped the car and then put this contraption over the girl's head. And it's called a head box. And this was made of wood and foam. So like foam inside of the wood. And it looked like an old-timey helmet kind of thing. It had a vent for the mouth and cutouts for the eyes. They took her down somewhere. And Jody said it kind of looked like a root cellar. And that's when she saw them restrict the girl with chains. And Jody said the couple started touching the girl and it was very sexual and the woman even bit the girl. And after what seemed like forever watching this couple torture this girl, Jody woke up. 
That is such a scary dream. Right? And that it keeps like happening, but it keeps continuing. It's like when you wake up from a scary dream and you go back to sleep and it continues Mm -hmm. and you're like, no, 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 no. This is not what I wanted. Yeah, the whole point of going back to sleep was to get away from this. Yes. Well, Hannah had her own experiences, but she didn't know it was anything paranormal at the time. She thought it was just one of her mom's friends, but she saw a girl. And she saw her multiple times, and she called her My Liz. Well, one night in February of 2000, everything came to a head. Jody had drifted off to sleep after fighting it for hours, only to be faced with another scene from this torturous saga. The girl's in the bathroom, and the lady's with her, and the girl is pleading for the lady to let her leave. But the lady's like, if you don't be quiet, he's going to come in here. And, well, the man did. And in his hand was a knife. And he pulled her head up, forcing her neck to be exposed, and then he slit her throat. Oh, my God. Jody was awoken to that white noise of the static on the TV. And she didn't understand how the TV would be on because it was one you had to get up to turn on the TV. And they were both asleep. Then she heard knocking sounds, which were cabinet doors opening and closing by themselves. All of a sudden, that damn Ernie doll started going off. And it would just be like, I feel great repeatedly. So Jody, of course, took the batteries out of the fucking doll, but it didn't stop it from making noise. How does that shit even happen? I don't know, and I don't like it. Jody said, then all of the lights came on. So she just took Hannah, went to the manager, and was like, come here and look at this. Like, something is going on. I don't know what's going on in this apartment, but like, there's an electrical shortage. Something is going on. The manager witnessed some shit going on too, and basically they all just left the apartment unsure of what to do. And at this time, it's like 6 a.m. Jody is by the pool just sitting there crying because she's so stressed out and she like she can't protect her daughter. What can she do? And there was this older man who was walking his dog who saw her sitting there and he went up and was like, look, no one really stays in that apartment for long. Him and his wife had lived there for like 25 years. So Jody was like, wait, what do you mean? You're the first person to say anything about this to me. And the man went on to say that there was a girl whose name he couldn't remember, but she lived in apartment 14 and had went missing. So Jody's like, well, that's weird, but okay. You know, so something's weird with the apartment. I don't know, but all I know is that me and my daughter aren't safe. So Jody ended up talking to the property manager and the property manager got with her boss and they put Jody in another apartment in downtown Chico. But they were like, the only way you get this for the price of this is to not discuss the issues you had with the apartment here. Well, that's just setting somebody else up for failure. Right. But Jody's like, sorry about you. I'll keep quiet because I want out of this. I need my daughter safe. Which I completely understand, but it does suck for whomever's coming behind her. Right. Life after Walnut Gardens apartment was great for Jody and Hannah. She found a job she enjoyed. She met a man whose name is Joel. He had kids of his own, so so Hannah had people to play with. And together they, you know, had the whole happy family thing going on. But one day, Jody saw a picture that Hannah had drawn, and it looked like the girl from her dreams. So she questioned Hannah about it, and she was like, yeah, that's my Liz. And she was like, we're friends. Like, she comes and hangs out, and I mean, we saw her at the old apartment, too. She's your friend. And Jody's like, she's not my friend. Like, I don't know who she is. Then there was another drawing that Hannah did and it had my Liz in it and it looked like she was hanging and that brought everything back for Jody. She started having nightmares again 
And so she opened up to Joel about everything. Because, I mean, you don't want to tell someone this and be like, hi, I'm perfect. And then be like, okay, so I've had these really weird dreams. And how long have they been together? Not long. Okay. Did you say they were living together, though? I think so at that point. Okay. I feel like that's something that should have come up. That she had nightmares? Yes. I don't know. I mean, yes, if she had a nightmare, but she didn't have a nightmare with him. I guess so. And so it's just like, I think she just wanted to push it out. Like that was the past and she was finished with it. Well, Joel was like, there seems to be a story here that needs to be told and you're the voice of it. Joel went to the library and they were looking through old records because Jody was talking about how the man had said the girl went missing from that apartment. And Joel ended up finding... An article from like 26 years ago, and it was like local girl gone missing. And the more details I read, it matched up. She was last seen at that apartment complex, the Walnut Gardens on Parmac Road, exactly where Jody and Hannah had lived. The girl's photo was there, and it was the exact same girl from Jody's nightmares. But now there is a name to go with that face Marie Elizabeth Spanicky. She was just 18 years old. And on January 31st, 1976, she was with her boyfriend at the flea market in Chico, but they had gotten into a fight. And instead of riding with her boyfriend, she was like, I'm going to walk it off. Like, you go. I'm not riding with you. Now, her name is Marie Elizabeth, but she went by Marliz, which kind of adds up to maybe Hannah just, you know, was a kid and couldn't say Marliz. And she said, my Liz. True. Well, Marie had only been in Chico for about two months before her disappearance. She was originally from Cleveland, Ohio. And the reason why she had moved there to California was because the boyfriend she had, like they fell head over heels in love, like they had worked together and like the mom didn't like him or anything like that, but she loved him. And he was moving back to California and was like, move back with me. And she's like, yes, let's do this. Well, after they found the article, the dream started reoccurring, but they seemed to have picked up exactly where they left off. Jody saw the couple putting, I'm going to call her Marliz since that's what most people knew her by, but putting Marliz's lifeless body in the back of that car. So this prompted Jody to call a local reporter who worked like the crime circuit or whatever you call it in the newspaper. And Roger was the reporter's name and he met with Jody and he's like, okay. So she wasn't like some of the other people who come in with weird claims. She was so matter of fact about things. So Roger showed Jody some clippings of another case he believed was tied to Marliz's case. And this was about a woman named Colleen Stan. It's spelled Colleen, but I'm pretty sure they said Colleen. She was abducted and she's known as the girl in the box. So Cameron and Janice Hooker were her abductors. And I don't think you've covered this one. Mm -mm. But they kept her in a box under their bed for seven years. Jesus. And again, they had a waterbed. How the fuck do these people? This, what? Yes. I need, I need a YouTube video on this. I need a schematic. Yes. Because they said waterbed. I'm like, how the fuck? I don't understand. But they kept her in like a coffin-like wooden box under their waterbed. Now, I will say, the waterbed that me and my parents had, because we talked about this on that other case, but it did have, like, a wooden base, but you couldn't put anything under there. Right. You couldn't get to anything. Like, so I don't understand that. No, and my sister had a waterbed, and hers was the same way. 
So I don't know. If y'all know, please let us know. Because again, I was like, again with the waterbed. Anyway, focused on the wrong thing here. But Colleen was able to escape finally with the help of Janice. So Janice had got to the point where she told Colleen that she was going to leave Cameron. And Colleen was like, please don't. Because I don't know what he's going to do to me. You know, like if you're not here, I don't know what he's going to do. They were like, look, let's not tell him anything. And we'll just leave together. And Colleen said, I'm not going to tell anyone. I will not tell a soul. Let's just get out of here. And Janice agreed. So the next day they left. But three months after they left, Janice couldn't take it anymore. And she had to confess. But she didn't want to be in trouble. So to get information, the police agreed to complete immunity for Janice. And that's when she told them about Colleen. So she just got out of her, essentially a bunker and then just went on about her life and never actually never said anything. She told her family some stuff, but she didn't tell them like she knew who it was or. Well, I mean, like, I'm just like, how did you just like appear back in your life? I think she told them like, yeah, I was captive, but she didn't say this is who, this is how, this is where, any of the things. And I don't know if she told her family like, yeah, she helped me escape. We have to lay low or she's going to kill me or whatever. Yeah. But Jody's like, okay, well, what does a couple look like? And that's when Roger showed her the picture and Jody's heart fell out of her ass. She was like, there they were in black and white, the couple from her dreams. So everything's coming together. However, Cameron was arrested for Colleen's case, not Marliz's case. Because Roger went on to explain that the wife, again, had struck up the deal. So if she testified against Cameron, she would have, you know, full immunity, all the things. But in her confession, she disclosed that a year before they took Colleen, there was another woman who they kidnapped off the street. And she told them her name, and it was Marliz. However, her body was never found. So Jody is like, whoa, 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 hold on. This is why I'm having these nightmares. Like as much as I don't want to experience them anymore, I need to help Marliz any way I can. There's some reason I'm getting this information. So in her dream, she hears numbers spoken. It's like 35 and 76. And she's like, was that a location? I don't know. Like, what does this mean? And then she heard 35.76. And then I think she also heard like an A13 or so. I can't remember those numbers. But Joel was like, you have to give this to the police. Like you have to go to them, not a reporter, not anything. Like you have to go to the police about this. So finally, Jody was like, I'm feeling pulled to call the police today. She called him and the detective was like, wait, you're calling us today to give us this information? And he was like, basically, I've got chills. They're multiplying because he said on that very day, they were opening the cold case of Marie Elizabeth Spanicky. Wow. So it was just weird that she called today with information regarding this. So a little bit later, a detective interviewed her and just really made her go over all the details of her dreams and stuff. And she recalled how the man had a letter H on his belt buckle. And the detective is just like, is it like this? And she looks and she's like, yes, that's, that's exactly it. But she was able to answer all their questions, but they couldn't answer any for her because it was an open case. So Jody contacted a reporter again because she's like, I'm giving them all this information, but I am fucking clueless 
if this is helping, if I'm going insane, what, like, what is this? Well, this reporter was a woman named Meredith, and she was very skeptical, but Jody didn't care. She needed confirmation, and she couldn't get it from the police, but she needed someone who had access to the files and stuff. And Meredith was like, okay, sure, 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 you're saying this, but all of this could have been from the news. You have to tell me stuff that isn't going to be there, so walk me through everything. And so Jody did. Well, Meredith was able to look through the Chico's missing persons file on Marliz because she was reported missing in Chico, but Red Bluff is where Cameron and Janice lived. So they had something going on there that no one could talk about, but this was like a cold case missing persons file. So Meredith was going through all of the shit and through that, she was able to watch Janice's confession and there is this part where she was talking about how loud Marliz was after she was had been to, sorry after she had been tortured a little bit because she was screaming so loud she was taken upstairs to the bathroom and that's where Cameron came in and was like because you won't shut up I'm going to cut your vocal cords <gasps> and that had not been revealed to the public because I mean, they haven't found a body, so no one knows, like, the cause of death or anything. But then this is a woman who took part in that, saying this is what happened. And then Jody had had this dream where that had happened. Now, what Janice said is that basically, in essence, it was less than 24 hours that she was abducted, tortured, and then killed. Because he wanted to keep her as their captive for sex and all the things, but he hated her screaming. It sent him into a rage. And so he wanted to torture her. I think he had, for her and Colleen, would shock them with electrical cords and stuff mm. and just brutally torture them. But if they screamed, it just sent him into a fucking rage. Well, he had saw or read or something, you know, whatever killers do, <laughs> that if you cut their vocal cord, they oh. can't scream, but they could still be alive and, you know, he can continue torturing her. So he was going to do that, but he didn't know what he was doing because, oh you know, they didn't have YouTube back then. So he fucked up, cut her too much. And so she started bleeding profusely. Cameron just took her back down to the basement or what she had thought was a root cellar. I mean, basically the same thing. Tied her up, put a pillowcase over her head, and then hung her by her neck, too. Oh, my God. So she died, right? And then they took her in their car, went out to a desolate road, and Cameron buried her in a shallow grave. So they asked Janice, like, well, where's her body? You know, like, you're telling us all this stuff. We're not going to prosecute you. Like, we need to find her body. And Janice, like, led them to the area and everything. But it's a desolate place. And it's, like, basically where you can hide a body and no one's ever going to find it. And, again, it had been, you know, more than two decades had passed and, you know, all the things. So they could never find just, like, the exact location. But now on the Unsolved Mysteries, they said that they finally told Jody, like, because this whole time Jody was just like, okay, so it was connected from the reporter she knew, but she didn't know anything else. But the 35.76, the police never told her anything, but they were like, okay, that has to be something, you know? 
Well, that A13 or whatever, that was a road Janice had taken them down. And then that number was the distance from their house. Like when they calculated the distance, it was like 0.01 off from her number. So it wasn't exact, but I mean like. This is exact as exact gets. Yeah. And I mean, if you're getting this from a spirit, I mean, you know what I mean? If you're just thinking about like, oh, it's not exact. Like you can't just rule that out as it wasn't right. Well, they looked and they still can't find Marliz's body anywhere. But it's like, that's where Janice said she was supposed to be. And it matched up with what Jody said she was supposed to do. You know, so it's just like, they're kind of at a standstill of where do we look? Because it's such an open, like a vast area. You can't just say, okay, we're going to start here digging and then go. Because that takes a lot of money, manpower, all the things to go on a hunch. On a psychic, essentially. Yeah. Now, Cameron Hooker was charged with Colleen's abduction, rape, sodomy, like use of a weapon, you know, they just like tacked on everything they could because they could not try him for Marliz and they couldn't even talk about it because they were like, that's prejudicial and all the things and like, there's no body. And yeah, his wife is saying this now, but she has immunity, Mm -hmm. like all the things. So Marliz did not get justice, but Colleen did. Cameron received 104 years, but he became eligible for parole in 2015. What? Because there is an elderly parole program in Mm. California, but his request was denied. However, he was scheduled to return to court last year, September 14th. But then I think someone had, his lawyer had COVID, and so it got rescheduled, and I can't find an update. Oh my God. But they want him to be found as like a sexual deviant, like all the things like he cannot be let go because he will do this again and to keep him from being paroled. But I cannot find if he got parole. Do you know how old he is now or no? He's old. I don't know how old, but I saw his old man mugshot and I'm like, fuck you, dude. (laughs) This man, we believe killed Marliz and on an accident, he would have kept her seven years or whatever if he could have. Yeah. If he wouldn't have fucked up. Right. But then he kept someone for seven years to completely torture them, everything. And now Janice said that she was a victim, that she met him when she was young. He was controlling and, you know, all the things. So, like, we have that whole thing where we're always like, oh, God, it's so hard. Is it really Stockholm or is it? Yeah, because she did do these things. Like, she helped him abduct these two women because they might not have gotten in the car with just Cameron. But his wife is like, oh, no, honey, get on in. Mm-hmm. We're good. We're good. Like, and you see a married couple and you're like, oh, okay, cool. And she also participated in the torture. But again, was that because he would torture her if she didn't or, you know, whatever? We don't know. But it's just so hard that she got full immunity And then told, you know, and it's just like, do you punish her or do you not punish her? Because is she a victim or not? But even then, it's just like, I I don't know. It's so hard. But if she hadn't turned herself in, we wouldn't know any of this. True. But if she hadn't helped, would any of it have ever even happened? Right. And the thing, too, is that like Cameron, when they would pick these two girls up, they would ask questions like, oh, do you have a boyfriend? And Marliz was like, yeah. But we just got in a fight, you know? And they're like, oh, okay, well, we'll take you back home. Like, is your roommate expecting you? Yeah. And she's like, no, I don't have a roommate. You know, and they're like, oh, okay, cool, cool, cool. You know, 
just seeing like, oh, this girl's by herself, basically. Is anybody looking for her? Mm-hmm. And uh, she probably even said that she had moved from Ohio. You know, all the things like, oh, yeah, my family's back in Ohio. I've only been here for two months. So she hadn't made a lot of friends, you know. Oh, it just breaks my heart. Because she was telling them this information. She thought she was talking to normal people, but no, they were mm-hmm. predators. She's just being kind and, mm-hmm. sorry, she's just being kind and having a conversation. Mm-hmm. And Colleen was the same way. Like they, you know, approached her and she didn't have like anyone expecting her and, you know, all the things. And so it's like perfect. Well, that's why too, they say, I feel like, like always tell them that somebody's waiting on you, mm-hmm. that you pretend like you know where you're going. This isn't your first time to the city. You you know, you know exactly yeah. where yada, yada, yada is, you know. Like I even saw a TikTok the other day and it was somebody that was like from New York or whatever. They got in a cab and somebody was like, oh, you know, are you from here? Are you visiting here? And she was like, just for fun, she was like, oh yeah, I'm visiting here. And they're like, oh, okay, well, since you're visiting here, I'll take you the shortcut to blah, blah, blah. Like, and I won't, or, or no, because you're not from here, I won't turn on the meter. Well, how about we'll just do like this amount? Oh. And she was like, Please note, it was not cheaper to not turn the meter on. Yeah. And it's like, even just stuff like that, people will take advantage of you if they think that you don't know. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, we know that stuff now because of stories like Marliz and Colleen's. Yeah, absolutely. But I was hurt that he was up for parole. You know, just like, wow. Because I was like, okay, justice was served. He ain't going to live more than what he's in jail for. You know, like if he does, like he's got amazing help. (laughs) You know what I mean? But then eligible for parole. That's so fucked up. And I don't care if they're elderly. Like, what did they do? Right. Okay. It's one thing. Are they elderly and they had some pot on them? Are they elderly and they had like a nonviolent offense? Sure. Mm -hmm. Let them out. But this motherfucker had 104 years because he kept someone captive for seven years. He is a violent fucking offender. You do not let him out. No. You don't let him out. Right. Again, a nonviolent offender, absolutely. Actually, it helps taxpayers to not keep them in prison for the rest of their lives so you don't have to pay for their end-of-life care. So if you look at it fiscally like that, it actually makes more sense to let out a non a nonviolent offender. But this motherfucker? Right. No. Well, I hate this story. I know. How'd she know all that? Like, how did the dreams come? Like, how did it happen? I know. I, I don't know. Well, and I feel bad for Jody too, just because like it's not like she solved a murder or anything, but she had this information. But you know, I feel like she probably feels like, what did I do? Yeah. What was the point of all that? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and also her poor kid, who's like, yeah, so and so, like that's your friend. Like she, the mom thought everything was over, and the kids like still living it. Hmm. Yeah. But thank you so much for that recommendation. It had everything: true crime, paranormal. Unsolved cases. We're going to go ahead and call that one solved, though. Yeah. Allegedly. Yeah. God, that has to be so hard to be a detective in that situation. You're telling me you did horrible shit, and I have to say thank you for the information you're giving me, mm-hmm. and have a great life. But then again, where does the, you know, like, victim start, and the villain end, and vice versa? I don't fucking know. So hard. Both of these stories were so hard. I don't know, just to like comprehend, they're so hard. Well, and two, because both of them involve things that we just don't really understand. Mm -hmm. We just don't really understand exactly how 
a victim that has been held captive for that long responds. We just don't really understand DID. And, and I mean, I don't know that we ever will. Right. Well, let us know what y'all think for sure. I just don't like villainizing someone with a mental illness just because they have that mental illness. Right. Just because he had DID or just because someone has bipolar disorder or schizophrenia or whatever, like it doesn't mean that they are all of those things. Mm -hmm. So that's what's hard for me when someone uses something like that as what they hope to be their get out of jail free card. Yeah. It's like, no, you still did something bad. You still have to face the consequences for that. It sucks because one person will be made example of for the whole community. Yeah. And that's never fair, no matter what it is. Well, like Donna said, let us know what you think about both stories. Thank y'all so much for listening and supporting us, me and my gray hair. And remember, creep it real and don't get scared. With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply.